0: Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to be together this night of all nights of the year. No matter what's going on in our culture, we know that you are indeed our Lord Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray as we reflect upon that great truth that you would renew our hearts to the reality of it. That you would take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's been quite a year, hasn't it? You know, up until a few weeks, I thought we were getting better. But uh, it just seems that 2020 won't let go. You know, so welcome to Christmas COVID 2.0 version. Uh, It's been quite a year. If there was a competition for the top of the word, the the most used word this year, top contenders might be polarized, radicalized, racialized, tribalized, politicized, pandemicized, divided, canceled, and outraged. So I ask, how are you, really? Well, the good news tonight, dear brothers and sisters, that we are gathered here as family and friends to remember who we are, what we have, what we've lost. And the passages that Sybil and I read tonight present so much more than a touching story or a nostalgic holiday fairy tale. It is in fact a reminder of the most amazing reality, that God came and God spoke. God with us. Peace on earth. The God who spoke still speaks, and the God who came still comes. That's the true miracle of Christmas, and that as we come here tonight in our real world with real lives, with real problems, real sicknesses, real questions, past hurts, and future hopes, God is with us, because it's real tempting to treat Christmas Eve like a cup of warm, spiritual, hot cocoa, long on sentiment and short on life-changing truth, which, after all, is the whole point of Christmas. Because John's gospel, what he's saying in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, the whole reason God came to be with us is so that we can be new. We can be born anew. So what we're going to see tonight briefly is the mystery of the incarnate Christ, what it does and what it means for us and how we respond to this good news. First, the mystery of the incarnate Christ. We all love a good story, and Christmas is full of them. Take the nutcracker, for example. We're all enraptured by this wonderful story of a nutcracker fighting the evil mouse king and vanquishing him taking the beautiful Princess Clara off into a wonderful world where they will live together in love, drinking hot chocolate and waltzing with flowers. We love that stuff, right? We do. And yet, J.I. Packer writes about stories like that. They pale in comparison. He says, there's nothing in fiction that is so fantastic as the truth of the Incarnation. That the more you try to understand it, the more staggering it becomes. When I use that word incarnation, that means God being human. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So, let's clear that mystery up. Jesus Christ was a first century Palestinian Jew who was announcing that this was the time for God's kingdom to come. He was plugging into the expectations that had been building for a long time in the Jewish people. They knew, just like we know, life isn't as it should be. And so they knew that one day God would send a king and sort it out all one day, and Jesus was saying, now's the time. God's kingdom has come. It's here. The time is now for God to become your king. So he announced this kingdom with sayings. He would say things like, Well, it's not exactly like you thought, fellas. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sows a seed and half of it seems to be wasted. But in the end, there's going to be a huge bumper crop. The kingdom is like a man who discovered a treasure in a field. He goes back home, sells everything he has so he can buy that field because that field and that treasure is worth everything, much more valuable than what he sold off. Jesus told stories like that in order to say that the kingdom of heaven is now. Now. It's something we live in reality. No, it doesn't look or feel like we imagined necessarily. But if you follow Jesus, it'll be better than you ever imagined. And so what happened is Jesus went further than that. He hung around with all the wrong people. The Bible called them sinners. And they were people of bad character, but who were ready to latch on to this message of a new kingdom and latch onto the message of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And Jesus, as you know, went about healing people. As, as a sign of this is what it looks like when God becomes king, new creation really begins to happen. But the trouble was, and the trouble is, even today, as Jesus embodied God's kingdom, then the forces of chaos, destruction, death, chaos, were all striking back with full force. Which is why the focal point of all four biographies of Jesus is the cross. Jesus believed it was his vocation to embody a moment when God would come in person and take the weight and horror of the world's evil, shame, sin, And death itself, all upon himself. And the further embodiment of the kingdom was that three days later he was alive again in a transformed new body. It was the same body and yet somehow different because it had gone through death and he'd come out on the other side. That's Jesus, the king. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does this mean for us? Well, verse 13 gives us a clue. Because this is what the tonight is all about. 13, who were born, people who believed in Christ, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, we're born again, renewed, new creations in Christ. We just sang that in O Little Town of Bethlehem, written by the great American Anglihan- Anglican. Phillips Brooks, he wrote, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today, because we've got this weird idea in our culture that, you know, there's those born-again Christians, then there's the rest of us, all right, there's, it's absolutely essential that we understand this, and and because born-again is not a type of person. It's not a personality type, you know, those really emotional people. They need this because they need morality in their life. I'm cool, right? That's the way we've thought about him in the past. The problem with that whole view is that two chapters later, there's a guy who had it all together. He knew more Hebrew than you and I ever would know, you know, more the Bible than you and I. He was religious. He was moral. He comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. Now, this is Nicodemus he's talking to. You know? Nicodemus, the first thing you must understand about God's kingdom is you must be born again. It doesn't matter how good you are, how pulled together your life is, or your family, how good or bad you are. It's essential that you're born again. And when we are, we're new crea- creatures. We are new. have a new identity. And we know we have it when we change. We're changing. We find ourselves more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. It's life change, always. And all of a sudden, you end up with spiritual appetites. You start to see things you didn't see before. uh, Hear things you didn't hear before person comes to me and says you know i never saw that in the bible well guess what you got new ears new eyes new tastes it matters now it's the implantation of a new spiritual life it's being born again now of course there's certain patterns of the christian life that will ensue but jesus would say here i'm not here to make you religious i'm not here to make you moral i'm not here to make you nice i'm here to make you new And in making you new, that's a new identity because you're born again. So what do we do with this? Well, verse 12 clues us into this. That's the verse previous, obviously, to verse 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, this is simple and yet hard. First, we receive Jesus. Okay? Notice he doesn't say, invite you into your heart. You know, we all taught our kids, have you ever invited Jesus into your heart? The Bible never says that. We receive Jesus. Paul even furthers this in Ephesians. He says, Jesus himself is a gift. That the faith in Christ is a gift given. That we have to open it up. You're going to exchange presents tomorrow. right? You're going to open up gifts. You're going to receive them and open them. And this is a gift that must be opened by you. And for who he is, not for who you want him to be. So many people open up the gift. It's like taking a $100 toy, a $100 G.I. Joe, and breaking off his arm and saying, I want a one arm G.I. Joe. But that's what people do with Jesus all the time. They make him into something that he's not. And to receive him, you receive him for who he is. Secondly, you believe belief is more than mere intellectual assent belief is putting my whole trust in him and his work and his finished work upon the cross for me and i live in that reality day by day by day as i have received him that's what belief is it's it's an all in trusting him because it's good news for each and every one of us that he lived this way. And when I believe in that way, believe not based on my performance, because I got news for you, there's no perfect people here. We're all sinners to the core, but we all desire to strive to live under this reality of a loving, gentle, humble, lowly God who says, follow me. I love you. And he was fully God and fully man, and he lived the life that I should have lived in perfect fellowship with God. And he died a death that I deserve because I haven't lived a perfect life in perfect fellowship with God, and yet God raised him from the dead for you and me, vindicating all the claims that he had made about what his life and death were about and were for. So now he calls us to repent, to turn from our sins, and to trust him as Savior, so that which I deserve I will not get, and that treat he deserved for me will be given to me. I have faith in him. I trust in him. I believe. That's the good news. And when we do that and we live the kingdom way, and we embody the kingdom in a way that makes it attractive and winsome to people who are from the outside looking in, go, wow, there's something there. We go be a blessing to people. That word in the Hebrew, blessing, means bringing heaven on earth. People taste a little heaven as we bless them. And finally, we're children of God. That's a legal term for adoption. We're adopted into his family. My heavenly father loves me with the intensity and concern of his only begotten son. Jesus said in John 17, Father, love them as you have loved me. Jesus prayed that for us. To have that identity and live with that knowledge every day, no matter what your situation. You have a family. You have an inheritance, man, that gives you a meaning that suffering can't take away but even deepen. It gives you a satisfaction that isn't based on your performance or circumstances. It gives you a freedom that doesn't reduce others and relationships to mere transactions. It gives you an identity that isn't fragile or based on your performance to the exclusion of others. It gives you a way to deal with guilt And forgiveness without the residual bitterness or shame. A basis for seeking biblical justice in our land that does not turn us into oppressors ourselves. It gives a way for us to face not only the future, but death itself with poise and peace. And it gives an explanation for the senses of transcendent beauty that we often experience. That's the new identity. And there are some out there, perhaps, within the sound of my voice, that are finding their significance and security in something else, in pleasing family, in being the model suburban parent, in academic standing, in career, in a financial portfolio, in looks, in relationships, in political causes, all of which can be good things. But each of those things are based on your performance, the ups and downs of life. But the identity in Christ changes everything. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his for you. So how about you? It's simple. It's hard. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death death of your ambitions, favorite wishes, every day, and the death of of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Jesus Christ is the gift that has to be opened. Will you open it with me? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to you and we confess that we have longed too much for the comforts and treasures of this world rather than for your enduring kingdom. We have loved the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. And in your mercy, help us to see the things we strive for but shadows. But you are the substance. They are quicksand, but you are a mighty rock. They are shifting, but you are an anchor. We come to you now, Lord, confessing that we are sinners and we would ask forgiveness for all our sins. And therefore, we give you our lives to do with as you wish. And we thank you for forgiving us through the riches of Christ and freeing us to live a new life faithfully devoted to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.